This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest today, herpetologist and wildlife biologist, Matt Hinderleiter. We're giving the stage to the gopher tortoise today. What's the difference between the gopher tortoise and other Mississippi turtles? What type of habitat do they enjoy? And why is the burrowing habit of the gopher tortoise so important? You can join our conversation this morning with your phone calls. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464, or you can send us an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest today, herpetologist and wildlife biologist, Matt Hinderleiter. Today we're giving the stage to the gopher tortoise. What's the difference between the gopher tortoise and other Mississippi turtles? What habitats do they enjoy? Why are their burrowing habits so important? Also, we'll talk about what you need to know if your child wants a pet turtle. You can join the conversation this morning with your questions and comments. The phone number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that Creature Comforts airs twice each week. The broadcast here Thursday and repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope that you're both doing well today. Good morning. Morning. Libby, we'd like to talk about things going on at the museum to kick off the show each week. So what do you have for us? And first, I'm so glad that we can report we're going to have a good, cool weekend. Exactly. Uh, great time to get out on the nature trails at the museum in LaFleur's Bluff State Park or any other of our lovely state parks or any great trails close to you. This is just the weekend you really ought to get outside. And let's see, coming up at the museum is Park After Dark, Mm -hmm. which is another partly outdoor activity. It's the Children's Museum and the Natural Science Museum joined together every year for this. And it's a big Halloween event. It's uh, a little retro in that um, it's a bunch of kids trick-or-treating around there'll be lots of there'll be lots of candy for one time <laughs> at the museums but uh october the 28th from 5 30 to 8 30 and it's best to buy your tickets in advance this is a really big event for both museums and they even do off-site parking over at smith wheels and have a a shuttle. a shuttle. So it's it's a really fun thing to do, though. And once you get in the park, it is so easy to handle doing everything. You know, it's easy to walk around through the sites. And so it's it's not a hassle. And it's not going to be a big crowd once you get over there. You're not going to feel crowded. But it, there are enough cars that it's better to do that off-site parking. Okay. <clears throat> oh, and I guess one other thing. Tomorrow is a great fish feeding at... Um, 
10 a.m., and that's always fun. Uh, welcome back to the show, our guest, Matt Hinderleiter. Matt, good to see you again. Morning. Uh, if you would tell us a little bit about your, your background. Well, I'm a wildlife biologist. I work for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service here in Jackson. Uh, I'm actually from the Northeast, and I moved to Mississippi in 2004, started off at Camp Shelby as a wildlife biologist there. Uh, I became the gopher tortoise biologist on the base, uh, which means I was kind of in charge of keeping track of the population on the base, which is it has the uh, most robust population of gopher tortoises in the state of Mississippi, and uh, keeping track of the borough database. They want to keep track of all of the boroughs that they can just to minimize any impacts that the military might be having. So I think last count, when I left five years ago, there was about 8,000 gopher tortoise boroughs on Camp Shelby, uh, different levels of activity, obviously not all being used at the same time, but still a pretty big population there. So uh, um, how did you get involved with uh, gopher tortoises? Is this something you've always been interested in? or, or? Uh, Reptiles in general. Uh, growing up, I always loved playing in the backyard and finding new critters and learning about them. Uh, I did my master's work with spotted turtles up in New Hampshire. So really grew an affinity and love for all things turtle-esque. And um, <laughs> just saw a position open in Mississippi and with gopher tortoises and said, well, I've never seen those before. Let me, let's try that. And it, it ended up being fantastic. They're really amazing critters. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to join in on the conversation. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. So um, is the term turtle and tortoise, are those interchangeable? No. Uh, basically, a tortoise is a turtle, uh, but uh, all turtles are not tortoises. It's kind of like a uh, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles <laughs> are squares kind of thing. Um, so the broad term turtle covers every every type, sea turtles, desert tortoises, everything. But tortoises typically are just on land. They're not any of the aquatic turtles or uh, marine turtles. It's, it's, it's the term for the ones that are pretty much only on land. But they can swim. That always surprises yeah, me. Yeah, not huh? well. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, and they they float because they, they bob they, along. Yeah. They've been known to cross rivers. They probably do it very slowly. But um, <laughs> yeah, I I tell people, you know, if you see a gopher tortoise, obviously not a nice thing to do would be to throw it into a pond. It's it's it'll mm-hmm. it'll probably survive, but it won't enjoy it very much. You know, I don't know if we've ever told you the story. We rehabbed a gopher tortoise once Mm -mm. at our house and then at the museum. The museum started the gopher tortoise program at Camp Shelby, gosh, over 20 years ago. And uh, we were given a, well, actually, it was one of those like left on the doorstep, literally, a, a cardboard box at the museum front door at the old museum over on Jefferson Street. And here's this very ornate looking gopher tortoise. We realized it was. It had not been in a burrow for so long that it looked more like a desert tortoise because mm-hmm. it, it's, um, you know, it's its shell was really ornate because it, it hadn't, down it hadn't been sanding in, itself in down. Burrow, yeah. But it was also so heavy that it couldn't float. Oh, okay. And so the biologist, it was it was also very, very weak. And the little note said that they'd been feeding it for years um, dog food. 
and a family that realized that evidently realized that it was illegal for them to have it, so they dropped it off at the science museum. <laughs> That's so, of course the yeah. natural reaction. And the poor thing could hardly walk. And but we really rehabbed it and lived for years at the museum. Hmm. The biologists were always afraid to to let it go anywhere. Of course, now we know you shouldn't anyway if one's been in captivity because of disease. But at that time, I don't think we were really so aware of that as we were the fact that we knew that it would drown if it got in the water. Mm -hmm. It was a great animal. What about terrapin? Is that a particular type of turtle? Uh, Terrapins are, that's that's the exception to the rule. They can be, the main one is the diamondback terrapin. That's the that's actually called a terrapin, and they live in brackish water. So they're they're pretty much aquatic turtles, but they have been the the term has been coined terrapin for them. So there's there's a little bit of overlap. Um, box turtles are terrestrial, but they're not called tortoises. Uh, so it, it's not a hard and fast rule, um, but typically the, just the word tortoise definitely means just on the land. And just an aside, I know the University of Maryland, their their mascot is the terrapin. Are, are they found in that part of the country? Mm-hmm. Uh, terrapins, the diamondback terrapin, stretches all the way from around Maryland, I think a little bit north of there, uh, all the way around uh, Florida, all the way over to here. So it's a very large range, all the same species. Um, but they have a lot of issues in Maryland with the crab pots. They uh, they The terrapins will get in there and drown. And um, so there's, they put in a lot of measures for escape routes for those turtles when they or those terrapins when they get into the crab pots and i I believe that's an issue also with uh uh, the um the shrimpers here on on the gulf coast with the the, turtle excluding device something Mm -hmm. for them to be able to get out of the the net should they get trapped in there yeah there's been a lot of advances in those technologies about how to reduce any bycatch of any animals you don't want to catch especially rare ones and that it becomes mandated that you have to put in these uh excluder devices we have got a call on the line, so let's get that in before our first break. And it goes with uh, Ann, who's called in from Past Christian. Good morning, Ann. Good morning. How are you all this morning? Good. What do you have for us? Well, I have a, a question because um, the gentleman had done some research out at Camp Shelby. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, years ago, people would go out to Camp Shelby, and, and they would take four-wheel drives with hooks, and and they would go and pull the poor gopher turtles piece by piece out and make turtle soup. And I was wondering, since he was out there and, and, and he's categorized all the holes and, and spent time out there, have they been able to eliminate these people from killing these turtles? Uh, I have heard of that practice. Um, that's how folks used to... They use pulling hooks, and they reach way in and hook the shell. Uh, obviously, it does a lot of damage to the animal, um, even if they don't get it out. But yes, that I've never seen that happen. I've never seen any uh, evidence of that happening still on the base. Um, with it now being both state and federally protected in Mississippi, I believe that is going to drop way down, if not disappear. It might also be a generational thing where... Um, that uh, the new, the new, uh, the younger people growing up aren't going to be doing the, those types of activities, just realizing that they can get in a lot of trouble for doing so. And well, also, can, with, I know that they still make turtle soup, and unfortunately, uh, the area in which I live in, um, these people don't care. And I've I've heard them recently within the last year, they have talked about going gopher hunting up around the area of Camp Shelby. 
So it, it worries me because they should be protected. I agree. And um, what you could do, I mean, both the state and the federal agencies have law enforcement divisions that you could get in touch with if you if you know about that continuing to happen. Obviously, that is against the law. Um, and there's only so far we can go to, to know who all might be doing that. But uh, just stay, you know, vigilant about who might be if you were if you're interested. Yeah, you can make a phone call to the Fish and Wildlife Service if mm-hmm. you if you have information. It's much harder for people to get on Camp Shelby now, though. You know, all the military bases have heightened security from what they did years ago. Mm-hmm. So that does offer some protection for the turtles, for the tortoises. All right, Anne, thanks for your call. Let's take a, a break uh, from Creature Comforts. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today we're visiting with wildlife biologist Matt Hinderleiter, and we're going to be talking about the gopher tortoise. Also, we always look for any wildlife questions or observations that you'd like to share with us. The phone lines are open, and the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more of the show after this. Support for MPB comes from C Spire Business Solutions, helping businesses move into the future with next-generation fiber-optic Internet access. More at 855-C-SPIRE-2. C Spire, customer-inspired. I'm Jeremy Hobson. And I'm Robin Young. We'll have analysis of the final presidential debate. We'll hear from our political team and from voters. Have they finally made up their minds with just under three weeks to go before Election Day? We'll hear the highlights and have analysis of the third presidential debate. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest today, herpetologist and wildlife biologist Matt Hinderleiter. We're going to be talking about gopher tortoises this morning, but also looking for your questions and comments about uh, wildlife in general. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And Libby, you've got an email there that someone sent in to us. Yeah, it's actually a friend of mine. She says she was kayaking at Lake Lincoln State Park last week. 
I'll be there in a couple of weeks doing the same. When I came upon several baby alligators sunning themselves on the shoreline, counted six. Uh, they ranged in size from eight to 15 inches, all piled on top of each other, which is kind of a very normal occurrence here. Later, I saw what looked like a three-footer easing along the shore. I'm wondering about their parents. You think they were nearby? Did they leave their young to their own defenses? Could they have tried to run me over had I stayed around longer? Also, will these gators eat the grass carp that seemed to be so prolific in that lake? Matt, I know that you're a big fan of baby alligators yeah. and had took a class from Millsaps to look at them yesterday, I think. Didn't mm-hmm. you? Yep, yeah, we went out yesterday and saw so some baby alligators. So what do you alligators. think was going on there? Um, well, I would think with the little ones, definitely Mama was nearby. I'm not sure how long they take care of them. Uh, they're one of the few reptiles that actually do have a maternal care. Uh, with, with pretty much all snakes and turtles, the mamas lay their eggs and then just walk away and they never see them. With alligators, they hear the babies hatching out of the grass mound and they'll actually help dig them out and help, to get, help them get to water and protect them for a while, but I'm not sure how long. Um, so those really little ones may have had mama nearby. Uh, once they get a little bit bigger, that second cohort, the little bit larger age size class, probably are all completely on their own at that point. As far as them being dangerous, I know that the gators there at Lake Lincoln are habituated to people. They Mm -hmm. are used to kayaks and canoes. Would we be in danger if we stayed around? It wouldn't be a good idea to pick those babies up for sure. Don't make them cry because if they make that little sound, mama (laughs) will come, right? going to come running. Um, I would think, I mean, obviously if you pick one up, it might try to nip at you. And if they are habituated to folks feeding them, which would be awful, then they would see people as, oh, I need to come over and say I've hi. I've never seen anybody feed them. That would, that's, yeah. that's one of the big issues when people feed animals mm-hmm. is they they relate people with food and they come over to see you. Yeah. Um, but and I know the park staff there really discourage anybody from feeding right. them, so hopefully um, they're not. I wouldn't think a small alligator would want to have anything to do with a person or a kayak. It's, it's not a potential meal. All it is is a potential... Predator, so they're going to not stick, not try to attack. How, um, I guess, about what size before they start nesting? Um, the parents are a fairly good size. Aren't yeah, they? I, I'm actually not sure about age and what's when when, when they become reproductive I've, mature. You know, but. I've seen a maybe a four foot one, four to five feet. I don't know if they. I would think a little bit bigger than any, that. They they um, reptiles typically. Are so a little bit older before they, before they become mature. So I would think a little bit bigger than that. Yeah. Um, so it would be a little daunting if you were in your kayak and Mama did show up. Yeah, kayaks Watch are pretty low to the water. Yeah. <laughs> now the last time I was in the field with Matt Hinterleiter looking at um, alligators, we did use our binoculars instead of going <laughs> over real, yeah. real close. Yeah. Because you don't always see all of them. <laughs> you might see one and another one's right next to you and give you a little nip. Mm-hmm. Uh, one a quick follow up. Ann called before the break. Um, so, are uh, gopher tortoises uh, protected by law? Yes, both by the state of Mississippi and by the federal government. Uh, the gopher tortoise ranges from Louisiana over to South Carolina, but it's not federally protected throughout its range. It is protected here in all of Mississippi, in western Alabama, and in Louisiana. So, it is a threatened species under the Endangered Species Act, and uh, therefore all the Things that go along with a federally protected species, um, any take is is, for, is prohibited. And uh, I just want to 
mentioned, I mentioned it before, you know, both the state and the Fish and Wildlife Service have a separate wild, uh, law enforcement division that works on viol- that looks into violations and investigates acts where people are uh, impacting wildlife. Or endangered wildlife, and, and you've mentioned uh, Camp Shelby, the, the thousands of, of, of gopher tortoise uh, burrows there. <clears throat> is there something about the the habitat of Camp Shelby that is especially attractive to them? Uh, the, it's similar to well, what most of the DeSoto National Forest, which it's on. Uh, it's very well maintained. Uh, back around twenty, thirty years ago, when folks really realized how longleaf pine. That ecosystem needs to be managed with frequent fire uh, and not letting the canopy overgrow. Uh, gopher tortoises being herbivores, they need a lot of grass and uh, non-woody vegetation on the ground for them to stick around. So you have to have an open canopy. You can't let it grow really shrubby. Otherwise, they'll they'll leave. And so Camp Shelby is a lot, a lot like most of uh, the DeSoto, where it's an open canopy, grassy area. And... With a lot of the fires um, that happen on the base, it's become a wonderful habitat for the tortoises. I mean, not just them purposefully um, burning the, the landscape, but also there's range fires, there's wildfires that, that because of the training operations that really keep that habitat looking really open and good for the tortoises. Got a couple calls on the line, so let's uh, first start with uh, Rich in Gulfport. Good morning, Rich. Go ahead. Oh, good morning. I uh, was staying in this apartment. I had uh, bed bugs so bad they evicted me and uh, tore out the drywall. I don't know where the bed bugs came from, but then I moved to a nice trailer, a lot of windows, and I have a little lizard running around. Uh, I was wondering, a uh, little lizard, maybe four inches, five inches long, and uh, he's harmless, but can lizards Lizards eat bed bugs. I still have a few around. Um, I actually don't really know. I they might be too small for the lizards. The lizards are probably going to go after a little bit bigger, a critter like uh, crickets and things like that. Um, so probably not. But maybe a little tiny lizard might might come across one and eat it. But I wouldn't count that as your uh, eradication protocol. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can be able to get enough lizards in there. To, no. <laughs> I only have a few uh, bed bugs, and I wipe them out as soon as I see them. I got rid of most of them. When I moved, I bagged everything up. It's a national pandemic of bed bugs, mm. you know. All right, Rich, uh, thanks for the call. Yeah, they are uh, pretty bad. I know our, our friend uh, Dr. Rick DeShazo on uh, Southern Remedy, I think, uh, has done research on bed bugs. And fortunately, I've never had to deal with that. But they, uh, once they get established, they can be, that can be a real problem. Yeah, I've heard it's terrible to get rid of them. But so, yeah, they might uh, might come across one every now and then. So as, as Rich mentioned, certainly not any harm done. And then and they would imagine they would uh, eat other uh, bugs and things. So it's not a bad idea to have them around. Well, let's continue on. We go next to Fred in DeSoto, who's called in today. Good morning, Fred. Hey, I'm down here in DeSoto National Forest, about 25 miles south of Camp Shelby. And uh, day off. I'm unloading my mountain bike right now. The trails here at Bethel, north of Buxy, are uh, sometimes you get to meet up with a gopher tortoise in the middle of the trail. Come around a curve, and there's mm-hmm. about a little fella right in the middle of the trail. So <laughs> it's nice to see them out here. Yeah, they love it down there where it's all opened up and well managed. They'll they'll stick around there for a long time. It was a hill 
near where I grew up. I grew up uh, near Prentice, and there was a hill uh, just outside of Prentice that was covered with these burrows. They were spaced probably about every 30 feet, a whole hillside of them. I was wondering if you've ever seen a colony that big. I, I would. It's been a long time, but I would guess maybe, oh, 30 or 40 of these things spread out across a hillside that was no more than about um, – Maybe maybe a football field length of um, partially shaded uh, longleaf uh, hillside. And, uh, I was amazed at the number of gopher tortoises ranging around that place. Yeah, they typically don't be. They aren't too close together unless there's only a small amount of really suitable habitat that's surrounded by really shaded areas, then they will concentrate on areas like that that have the best sunlight hitting the ground and the best grass growing. So, yeah, I've I've seen areas like that where you have high concentrations of tortoises. If it's really well-managed, large tracts, they typically aren't that close together, but uh, yeah, the habitat conditions might make them concentrate like that. Are, uh, are they always uh, cohabitating with snakes, or is that just um, an occasional thing that likes to make its way into the books? It's an occasional thing. Uh, we know from doing surveys where people actually put cameras down every single burrow they come across. Um, there are quite a few snakes. There's also lots of other critters that will live inside gopher tortoise burrows. I think the last count was over 360 other species of animals that have been documented inside gopher tortoise burrows. Uh, most of those are invertebrates, uh, spiders and crickets and things like that, but also many, many, you know, from rabbits to foxes to many snake species, uh, mice, frogs, all sorts of other snakes. And um, um, it, it's a very interesting habitat that they make. All right, Fred, uh, thanks for the call. Hope you enjoy the ride. Uh, let's uh, continue on next. We've got Betty in Madison. Hello, Betty. Go ahead, please. Hi. I just had an interesting story about gopher turtles. Um, this was probably, oh gosh, at least 15 or 20 years ago. Um, a friend of my husband's has had kind of more or less rescued a couple of gopher turtles in the Madison area. They were in, you know, an urban area. And he had them, he kept them in his backyard. And he built a little habitat for them and fed them and, you know, they were just like pets. Well, their neighbors weren't happy about it. Mm-hmm. And so they called the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've and heard that before. And was raided. <laughs> 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 and they confiscated the gopher turtle, and he got in trouble with the federal government. I, I, I'm thinking he had to pay a fine. That's... Because they, they are, I, I don't think you're supposed to have them in captivity, so to speak. But I just thought it was so funny that, you know, these um, fish and wildlife people showed up at the door and had a warrant. (laughs) (laughs) It was was interesting. That was my only experience with gopher turtles. (laughs) Yeah, they're not not native to the Madison area, so I'm not sure where they originally came from. Uh, They're actually Uh found around around Hattiesburg and south of there. But, oh, really? Yeah. Um, so somebody had moved them up here. But, yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard of that before where folks, you know, just keeping turtles or gopher tortoises in their yard and taking care of them. But uh-huh. uh, being a federally protected species, you would have to have a permit uh, if you wanted to keep one so they don't let just, you know, you have to show that you're using it as an educational animal. If, so you might see one at a zoo or something like that. But, um 
not typical that you get, you hear people getting turned in for that or fine, but obviously <laughs> it is illegal. So I mean, well, it he is. He did not make him. Did not make his neighbors happy. He was kind of an outdoorsy person in the. He was in the engineering field. Okay. And you know, it was just it was just something he enjoyed mm-hmm. doing. He didn't do it out of any kind of malice or anything. And uh, but uh, and he was not aware that it was a protected species. Had he known, he would not have taken them to his home and built a habitat for them. And, and typically that's what I've heard from our law enforcement, is that, is that if people are trying, like not realizing that they are protected and they aren't hurting them, I typically, you know, there won't be a fine involved. You just to let them know, oh, I, I'm not, I didn't realize that. Uh, and the tortoises will get moved mm-hmm. to a zoo or a uh, or a nature center as an educational animal. You know, we might talk about the social structure of the tortoise. So there are good reasons why people should not do that and why it is illegal for you to yes. gang them up like that. For one thing, they live. All right. How long do they usually live? Um, very long live. We don't know. Probably at least 50 years old, maybe up to 80. Um so that we were not exactly sure because nobody's had long-term tracking. And they on. live with their family groups the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. They, they form a colony and they stay there. So you have disrupted that one and possibly yeah. made it impossible for that one to reproduce, any mm-hmm. that you move. Because when they're away from that social structure that they understand, they don't behave normally. They don't tend to mate right in their right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, there are some reasons why. And when you think about something that's going to live for 50 or 60 years, it's kind of a shame to move them out of their <laughs> out of their home and disrupt everything. Hey, Betty, thanks for the call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We need to take another quick break. When we get back, we've got some callers on the line, and we'll continue our discussion about gopher tortoises. The phone lines are open, and we've got some lines available at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Daily at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. Republican legislative leadership wants to re-examine the state's education funding formula for public schools. We've been fighting to see that the teachers have what they need to instruct our children. They want to know if there's a way to get more money into classrooms. MAEP is a very complicated formula. We take a closer look at the Mississippi Adequate Education Program on At Issue this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest today, herpetologist and wildlife biologist Matt Hitterleiter. We're talking today about gopher tortoises and also taking some questions and comments about wildlife in general. Uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline dot org. Back to the phone lines in just a minute. But Matt, uh, what about size? How generally? How big do uh, gopher tortoises get? What I usually tell people, an adult gopher tortoise is about dinner plate size. So they're they're pretty large animals when they when they grow up. And um, the species that they most often get confused with are box turtles, the other terrestrial turtle that you're going to find walking around in your backyard. You know, not in its pond. Box turtles are much smaller. Obviously, a young gopher tortoise will be the same size as a box turtle, but when they get old, they get quite a bit bigger. All right. Back to the phone lines we go. We start again in Pearl. Uh, Scott is on the line. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. How y'all doing today? Good. What do you have for us? I thought Libby might could help shed some light on this. My, my daughter and I, we raised our family. Our first home was over in Outwoods Park in South Jackson, right where by 20 and Terry Road kind of come together there. But uh, we, um, after we'd moved from there, we were back over there checking on some things and kind of went through the park. And there was a, they were doing some excavation work out in the park that particular time on some drainage work or something. And we saw uh, an adult sized gopher tortoise there fixing across the road. And we stopped and it was, the shell was damaged. But we did some research on it that day and found out it was endangered. This was back in 93, 94. She was about a five or six year old. My daughter was at the time and she's got a memory even better than her dad's. She's, she's raising our grandkids now, but she, um, we got to share the experience of taking it to the uh, natural science museum at the original location. And uh, I think it was part of one of their first, uh, gophers there before they you know when they were first starting the exhibits and all whether they were you know, of course kids got to enjoy going to see where their turtle went and uh they did the exhibit you know up so they showed where the foxes would go in and use the holes that the gopher tortoises would make and all that but uh, it was definitely the adult and uh we got a real family blessing out of that that experience and sharing it with the natural science museum and uh you know, knowing they had a program going on. So I didn't know what she remembered as far as how many gophers were donated. I heard her talking about the one a while ago that was left at the front door. But uh, I remember we brought that one by, and it was late in the day, and I think the, the, the museum was all but closed, but somebody took it in and uh, made it part of their exhibit. So, You know, I, I do remember there were not a whole lot, but there were, you know, maybe a half a dozen or so like that that we've done. And was yours one of the ones that we superglued the shell? But it probably would have had to be based on the amount of damage that mm-hmm. it had when we rescued it. So I don't know how many you had to do that to, but it would. We just had it for that day because when we found out, you know, we we knew it needed attention, and you know, and uh, but we were really proud. Took a lot of pride in uh, being able to rescue one that was, especially one that was. We've always uh, been sensitive to animals anyway, but we we were especially proud of that one and thought it was really really unusual for us to find that kind of uh, 
specimen there. Yeah, it was. That yeah, and what? A, yeah, and that's as, as good an ending as that tortoise could have had. Several of those tortoises that we uh, that we fixed, you know, and usually that's kind of the way you do it is you replace the the um, the uh, shell parts that are cracked and use some super glue on them and sometimes they even use some kind of a material to replace if there's a piece that's completely missing and several of those we've been able to reintroduce and you know put back into the wild a lot of times we we were talking about when we were off air about the fact that when turtles are displaced like that you, you you can't know where they came from so you can't just go put them in an active colony because you may disrupt the social structure there so we've done little almost artificial like little orphanage kind of colonies where several that have been moved and at least they can live together they very seldom mate in those situations so you usually don't see any reproduction but they can live together for decades there and hopefully have a fairly happy existence Mm -hmm. and so several of the cracked ones we've done that way i'm glad your family enjoyed it and i was glad to know about shelby too because our son did a lot of training down there and i've never asked him he was not quite old enough he was only one or two at the time, our daughter and I um, rescued that one, but I'll ask him sometime if he ever saw any. All right. Yeah, he may have interacted with them. A lot of the soldiers do. It's just a, a really uh, almost a symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. between, and the gophers learn when they hear the, the tanks rolling, a lot of them learn to, I guess it's the vibration, yeah, not they'll, hearing they'll it. duck back yeah. into their burrows. Yeah, and... they just go below. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those uh, those tortoises probably need earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Scott. Thanks for your show and all the information and good times that we have listening to y'all. Very good, Scott. Thanks for Thanks. sharing your story with us. Uh, let's move on next. We have got Lee from Woodville on the line. Good morning, Lee. Go ahead. Good morning. I have two questions for uh, Matt, the herpetologist. Mm-hmm. One is in Wilkinson County, um, it used to be part of the Pine Belt. We have a lot of lowest soil here in bottomland hardwood along with pine plantation mm-hmm. what is do we have a population of tortoises here in Wilson County and also what is the relation between the tortoise and the black indigo snake because we have quite a number of those throughout Mississippi Alabama and Florida mm-hmm. and I'll hang up thank you Okay, uh, Wilkinson County, it's not currently in the range of the gopher tortoise. Um, obviously, the historical longleaf range was a little bit larger than it is now. Um, so it's possible they used to be. I haven't looked at the, the, the historic maps of where they possibly were, but uh, not currently occupied by tortoises. Um, so it's it's possible that there might still be one hanging around if it's in the if it's in a longleaf area, but if it's in a, in a bottomland hardwood area, probably not uh, tortoise country. Uh, they like need not just longleaf but upland longleaf, the sandier soils. Uh, as for the uh, the black pines or the black snakes, there's obviously many different species of snakes that are have that black coloration. Uh, we don't currently have indigo snakes in the state. They're just re- reintroducing them into Alabama now. So that's more of a Georgia-Florida snake. And that is a very large black snake. It's the largest snake in the in the country. They get up to eight, eight or nine feet long, I think, at the maximum. We have black pine snakes, which use the same habitat as the gopher tortoise. And they get to be upwards of maybe six feet long. 
And then the most common snake in the in the southern part of the state is definitely the black racer, which is often mistaken for the black pine snake. They're quite a bit smaller, uh, very fast, as opposed to a black pine snake, which isn't as as fast. Yeah, we're talking about the burrows. How, how deep, how long are the, the burrows generally? Uh, well, the hatchlings will immediately begin burrow, uh, digging their first burrow within a day of hatching out of their egg. They, it is a, just their first instinct to do is to dig a burrow. It's, it's pretty amazing to watch. The adults uh, will dig burrows depending on the soils, uh, really sandy soils where they can just keep digging and digging. I think the, uh, the record is in Florida at 67 feet long, and wow. which must have taken at least a decade to do probably for that animal. Probably several tortoises were in on that. Uh, you know, a, a, a burrow isn't occupied by a single tortoise. They'll move around across a colony and use different burrows at different times. So certain ones might reshape one the way it wants it, and then the next one comes in and redigs it the way they want it. But um, usually 15 to 20 feet long uh, in Mississippi. I've seen some 25-foot-long ones. We, uh, we have burrow scopes that we use to, to check for occupancy. And one of our scopes is 25 feet long, and I've used that and not hit the end of the burrow. So I know that they can be longer in here in uh, Mississippi as well. How deep are they? Uh, at the end, where it is 20, 25 feet long, that burrow is probably 10 feet down, maybe 12 feet down below the surface. So, again, it depends on what kind of soil they run into. If they keep hitting sandy soil, they're going to keep digging. If they hit a hard pan or uh, some clayey soils, they might stop and have a more shallow burrow. And you mentioned sort of the other creatures that uh, use them as well. Do they share them with the turtles, or is it when the kind of the turtle vacates that's there and, and the other animals take advantage? Um, a lot of it's sometimes it's hard to tell. Uh, if you see a tortoise in a burrow on the camera, you don't really know what's behind it. Um, we have seen eastern diamondback rattlesnakes in a burrow at the same time as a tortoise, and they just kind of move around over each other. Neither is a threat to the other, so they cohabitate in there. I've definitely seen uh, several snake species utilizing a burrow with a tortoise in there. Um, maybe probably mammals, not so much, uh, and especially armadillos. A lot of people get confused or mistake armadillo burrows for tortoise burrows. Uh, an armadillo burrow is going to be very round and a lot steeper. A tortoise burrow is going to be more football-shaped. Uh, it's going to be turtle-shaped, and it's a lot shallower entrance. But you'll see what looks like an old tortoise burrow that's been taken over by armadillos. And they'll, they might um, make it a more rounder entrance and uh, adjust it to their, their needs. We need to take one final break. Uh, when we get back, we will wrap things up the day. We've got some phone calls on the line. We've got some uh, lines open as well. So if you want to call in today, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this break.
This election year has been unpredictable. It can be hard to keep track of what's true and what's not. But NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Today is Thursday, but you know what tomorrow is. It's Friday, and that means high school football. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tomorrow night at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest today, wildlife biologist Matt Hinderleiter. We've been talking about gopher tortoises. We've got a lot of uh, turtle and tortoise stories, so I guess these are uh, common enough that everybody has an experience with them. We've got some phone calls to get to, so let's jump on the phone lines. We say good morning to Lynn and Laurel. Go ahead, Lynn. Uh, Yes, sir. Um, This is not a tortoise-type story, but it's a little bitty turtle story okay uh, when I was a child about eight years old um, there was a store in town shoe store if you buy a pair of kids shoes they'd give you a little turtle and you could go pick it out of the little bowl they had the mm-hmm. bowl they had and they had put paint on it and numbers on them and they were going to have a turtle derby <laughs> so they went downtown later on you know and, and um, of course we had to make him a place to live and couldn't figure out what to feed him. He didn't have pet stores way back then. And uh, um, mother decided to feed him oatmeal. Well, it worked. <laughs> and then we also get down with two uh, yardsticks and put them by each other and put him in it and make him run down it. And we'd sit on mother and I'd sit on the floor and make that work him out. <laughs> Train him. <laughs> Train him. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Straight as an arrow. And uh, <clears throat> then went downtown. They had a big con- kind of convention center type building where they'd have all sorts of venues. And they had it marked out for basketball, too. And with a round circle, you know, how they had on courts. And they took a lady's big hat box and popped the bottom out of it. And they just picked out X amount of turtles. They divided them up and would put them in there. And they had several heats because there was a ton of turtles. And uh, they'd put them in there, and they'd raise it up, and the first one that got over that last line won that heat. Well, mine won. And then there was, we stayed there like half a night, I think, and got down to the final. And he was in the final, put him in there with all of them, and then he had run like a crazy person. It was straight. I mean, it was straight. And uh, he, they raised the box up. He took off running, outran everybody. And I would say a good half inch away from the black marker and stop. <laughs> <laughs> Just well, too tired. <laughs> no, I think he never probably run over but one black line before, and that was the first heat. <laughs> and he was looking around, everybody's hoofing and hollering. And uh, um, he finally, this other turtle was coming right up behind him, and he, he kind of turned around and looked at him, and he took one step. 
and he was on that line, and I won. Oh. <laughs> the training paid off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And it was a wonderful thing. I won this bicycle. Of course, wow. boys' bicycle. And they, the company said they'd take it back and send a girl's bicycle, which they did. Now, I was about eight, and I was not big, not tall, tall. And when the bicycle got there, the seat was just about my rib cage. <laughs> And uh, you should see me trying to start that thing. One of my neighbors, he um, was an electrician. He kind of came in in and out a lot during the day. And he'd come up, and I'd be trying to get that thing going. And he said, just a minute, he'd give me a push off. But that was my turtle story. All right. That's a great story. Thanks, Lynn, for sharing that with us. Uh, This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's work this uh, email in here quickly. It says, my name is Corey, just moved to Tupelo, and wanting to know where I can find high concentration of grass carp or other invasive species for bow fishing. Ah, the Mississippi River. All right. That's that's a bit of a jog for Tupelo. Yeah, uh, well, oh, gosh. Well, are they in the Tintom? I don't know. No idea. I know you can get really big ones in the Mississippi River, and they do um, bow hunt with them, mm-hmm. yeah, or for them. Yeah. All right. Back to the phone lines we go. We're visiting next with uh, Tim from Gulfport. Good morning, Tim. Morning. How is everything up there? Doing good. What do you have for us? Well, uh, about 20 years ago, I was involved in a research project at Camp Shelby on the gopher tortoise and the effects of fire ants. I remember and, uh, when you were doing that, Tim, yeah. Yeah, we, we collected quite a few arthropods from within the uh, tortoises' uh, burrows, mm-hmm. and I was wondering uh, what the current situation is on that. Uh, we never did get, you know, quite a few we never did get identified. I was just curious about what the current information is on the arthropod complex within a gopher tortoise burrow. Yeah, in terms of how many or... Which what one? Okay. Um, I'm not sure the species that have all been documented, but again, I, I did see a paper, and this was a few years ago, that it was up to 360 species. Obviously, both, most of those are going to be arthropods. Um, yeah. But it, that was, again, that's at least five years ago. I'm sure more have been documented since then. So it, it's something that folks are always looking into. Uh, the communities mm-hmm. inside the boroughs are pretty extensive, like you must know. Uh, especially at the far end of the burrow, uh, when you're scoping in there, you'll just see probably 20 or 30 crickets bouncing around in there typically. And uh, that's probably, there's some critters that have actually only ever been documented inside a gopher tortoise burrow. So, uh, yeah, I remember there were quite a few uh, mosquitoes we collected in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. It, it's a wonderful habitat in there that's only created because the tortoises are there. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Tim, for the call. Thanks, Tim. Let's move next. Uh, Mikey's in Mobile. Good morning, Mikey. Hey, good morning. I'm going to be quick because I know time is short. Um, first of all, I have what I believe is gopher turtle in my yard. I've only seen it once or twice. Um, but I've also seen areas that I thought it was a rabbit hutch, and it might be a rabbit hutch because I also have rabbits. This is um, a riverfront area. Um, what I'd like to know is, uh, since Gufford, you know, after hearing the story about the guy having, you know, the people show up and, you know, with the papers at his door, can I be arrested or fined for having wild co-inhabitants? And, and most importantly, can y'all help me, please, with the number for the Nature Conservancy for Alabama? Uh, I don't know the number for TNC in Alabama, but I'm sure we could... Um 
I'm sure they have a website. Each each state has its own. I, I don't have a computer. I'm okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, we'll we'll be looking into that in a, in a minute. But um, no. Um, it's it's not illegal to have wild uh, rare wild animals on your property. In fact, we encourage it. If, if folks enjoy seeing them there and want to uh, maintain habitat for them, that's that's wonderful. I mean, that's that's where they chose to live. You're not doing anything wrong by having them there. Uh, well, it's, you've, helped, you've helped me so much with you know your explanation of how they live and where they live and mm-hmm. and and I'm wondering if they can ten feet down, man, that is something. Yeah. Um, now the water table is pretty high where I am, so I'm I'm thinking that that's probably, but it is sandy soil, so that's. It, it, how does that all figure into it? They probably can't dig that deep, right? Uh, I have seen flooded burrows before where they've hit, where uh, where the flooding will come up and uh, get into the burrow. But usually they'll know about how far they can go, and then they, they might dig a, dig a shallower burrow. That's why you do see them a lot of times on roadsides, like on hills, hillsides. They'll dig into the side of the hill. So they can just be digging straight across and not down into the water table, but the burrow is getting deeper because of the the way the slant of the of the hill is. Uh, the Nature Conservancy in Alabama is located in Birmingham. Mikey, the number is area code two zero five two five one 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 five five. So two zero five. Two five one 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 five five. The Nature Conservancy in Alabama. We've got one final call to get to. Gary's called in from New Albany. Good morning, Gary. Oh, good morning. What do you have for us? I'm just, uh, listening to the stories about the gopher turtle and uh, my experiences with uh, Camp Shelby in my, before I retired there. And, uh, I remember uh, our one of the probably a lot of attention was paid during our training as to where we were going to uh, set up a campsite in uh Gary, I hate to do it to you, but we, we need to cut you off. We've run out of time. Appreciate your call. Uh, Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Funding provided in part by the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science Foundation and contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Jonas Adams, and our call screener today was Sharita Brent. So for Libby Harfield and I guess Matt Hinterleiter, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10. It's MPB Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.